Hey Commodore Freaks, this is Nick Vivid and you are listening to the Scene World Podcast. It's the Scene World Podcast. I'm AJ. York is over there. I'm eating lunch. Hello, buddies. I'm eating Chinese food for lunch. Actually, it's Japanese food. Nice. I get to see my awesome chopsticking skills. Well, you don't, because we are on audio. Well, I, no, you get to see my awesome chopsticking skills. No one Me. Else does. Me. They'll, they'll just have to take your word for it that I know what I'm doing. Great. I say as I break it. Great. <laughs> yeah. Isn't that why it's called lunch break? Yeah. Because you hurt yourself? <laughs> That's a new one. See that? See that? Chopsticks right there. Uh, awesome. Nice. I've got skills, y'all. <clears throat> okay, so. In a minute, we're going to be talking to the Mega 65 guys. We talked to them about a year ago, actually. It was on podcast number 20, 10 podcasts ago. And uh, when we talked to them, they mentioned, you know, Maybe catching up, so we're gonna we're gonna catch up with them and see what's been going on with the Mega Sixty Five project, where they are, uh, where they hoped to be at this point, and 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 what they've how close they are to, to achieving their goals. Before that, though, let's do some news. Oh yes, well, um, last time we spoke about the winner is you, and the a winner is you cartridge is using well special hardware that. Siri, damn you, Siri! <laughs> I didn't even say Siri. You know, okay. a funny thing, an odd thing. Right after that, that happened to us the first time, uh, a couple podcasts ago, we were talking, and Siri, your Siri, just decided that he was talking to her. And the day after we published that podcast, I was listening to a totally different podcast somewhere, and the exact same thing happened to the guy that was on that podcast. Well, nice. Yeah, and it was it was it was like wow. It, 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 you know, I was thinking I I left it in just to be sort of unprofessional and funny, but but I, I guess it's happening. It happens more often than not. So okay. So as you were saying, again, carrying on. A, a winner is you. Cartridge is using dedicated hardware inside to make it possible to hear to the album in CD like quality on an NES, and I figured out. It doesn't matter if you run it on a Paul or NTSC machine. It's always running at the same speed. That's pretty nifty. So does this – does the audio come out through the Nintendo's audio out? Or does it have yes. like a – oh, okay. Yes. Yeah. Interesting. That's, Definitely. That's, yeah. Oh. All the right. cartridge even couldn't have its own plugs because, as you know, um, you have um, – a top loader, yeah. and you have to close the the cover here in Germany, in oh. Europe in general, and there there's no place where you mm. could reach out some cables. Otherwise, they leave the unit open. That was actually done with the Game Genie, which is a sheetar cartridge, right. and that you would put in front, and you had to keep the the cover half open. Mm. Otherwise, it wouldn't fit into your NES. Right. 
So I remember that, yeah. And I also remember Nintendo tried to stop them selling it, but they weren't successful. Um, so, so does the Game Genie work with the top loaders then? If you have to close it? Well, as I said, yeah, it does. So okay, I had it as a child. So, so did I. So did I. But the yeah. the NES that I had wasn't the top loader. It just had a little flappy door that you could do whatever you wanted with. You know, you could leave. Yeah, it like I said, that, that, that is what I'm. That is what I had too. The flap, the flappy yeah. door. Yeah, there wasn't any any other model here in Europe. Right. Okay. And, so and cool. interestingly, interestingly, I have the European version with the label on it. Yeah. And some people asked me, "Is that original?" I said, "Yes." They probably used just American cases and put a sticker on it for, um, for European version. Yeah. So, you know, like cheaper. Why, why redoing the, the case for Germany? It's easier, or Europe, in that respect, it's easier to just produce labels and put them on it. So I probably have a later NES release mm. because the original one that was released in Europe didn't have a label on it. It was just printed right on the case. Right. So anyway, other news is the 8-bit magazine issue 2 is out. And um, it's very, very interesting. It's um, also talking, for example, about um, the CD system that was developed for several systems like 8-bit machines like Commodore, Atari, and so on. That was pretty neat. A CD system also, for that? Yeah, yeah. When was that done? Where you actually, where you actually could um, play CD games on those machines. Huh. That was pretty neat. It wasn't successful. It was only released once, but still, still great. Also, they improved a lot on printing quality and paper quality, so that's... A, a big leap forward. Also, they they already successfully kickstarted issue three, so that will be coming out soon as well. Hmm. What else happened? Yes, well, well last uh, last podcast we talked to Jens Schoenfeld from Individual Computers. We mentioned when we were talking to him, we touched on the fact that they were going to be producing new cases for the sixty four. Uh, individual computers had gotten the cases that had been found. In the molds, yeah. Yeah, the molds. Well, individual computers has it now, and the announcement has been made um, about the new cases that are being made, and they're going to be made in actual Commodore colors, the the beige or the brown or the black and silver of the uh, the, the um, SX-64. Yeah. Um, and you can find out information about that at, from Return Magazine, because that's they're distributing it through Return Magazine's shop. So if you go to shop.return-magazine, and that's magazine without an E, because it's German, .de, so it's shop.return-magazine.de, uh, you can see the announcement on it and, and learn all about that. And I don't know if they're taking pre-orders yet, but I'm sure you can try. Great. Yeah, of course, we will link to that in the podcast description as well. So this, this should make a lot of people happy that were yep. not happy about the the blue and the clear and the red cases. A lot of people were kind of annoyed that that they were making these things that were not official original Commodore colors and how even well like there the, was a limited original cream colored. I've even seen people complaining about how that was not exactly the same. It's a little bit lighter than than the version that Commodore used and. 
My argument, I, I, I debate against that because I've got a couple of different machines. I've got a 64C here that I use. That's my, that's my actual 64C. And the case that that is in, which is an original case, um, is like, I've got two 64Cs. That case is a different, a slightly different shade and it's smoother and it's like weirder, different plastic and stuff. So within Commodore, they weren't consistent with their colors and their materials and everything. So. I mean, if it's if it's beige-ish, I think that's pretty much what Commodore would have done. Well, I mean, Commodore produced stuff everywhere, like West Germany, like Malaysia, like China, USA, UK, and all sorts of countries. Mm -hmm. So, of course, you would have differences. And they also like to use whatever happened to be laying around at the time to make it. Yeah, so, especially in the later years, yeah. 94, 93, when they were a bit out of money. Yeah. And then when ASCOM took over 95, before they went bankrupt in 96, they actually used whatever was laying around. Mm -hmm. um, right. Yeah. Also, when they did that Aldi model that didn't even have a label on it, <laughs> that was just... It was just, um, you would say, imprinted, I guess, yeah. in the case itself, because that was cheaper than even printing a label and put the label on it. Right. So they found extreme ways of saving money. That was amazing. Well, so other news, other news is actually the Superboy S was released by Hyperkin last Christmas. Okay. And that's great because it's a portable Super NES hmm. and the Superboy S compared to the version 1 and version 2 from 2012 is actually that now you can play Paul games. Okay. And not only Japanese and American NTSC games. So there's a switch, and it works perfectly. It's really, really lovely. So who's making that? Is that that's not an official? Hyperkin. Oh, okay. Hyperkin. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. Yeah, they they also did the FC Mobile Two, which is an NES clone, mm -hmm. and their last product the. FC Mobile 2 Paul version wasn't very successful because it played games too fast. <laughs> okay. It only played it at, at the correct speed if you connected a TV to it, which is kind of defeating the purpose of a portable system yeah. if you have to hook it up to a TV to play. Yeah. So that product here is very good. Um I was I was really having tears in my eyes by that crystal clear quality. It's real stereo. It's a very very good speakers quality inside. I was very very impressed. Oh my god! And it's working with all the um, 3D ship games in it. You know, like Star Fox 2 and so on. So it's compatible with everything that I tried so far, even the special cartridges that normally wouldn't work on emulated um, versions of the Super Nintendo. Okay, cool. Yeah, that's pretty nifty. Oh. Well, what else haven't? You yes. gave a speech. Yes, at the Power Up video game conference mm -hmm. by Setup Byte Marketing. And that was the second part of my speech where I spoke 
about my experience with SceneWorld in the video game industry. And it was an hour speech and I was making like half an hour talking about what's happening right now. What happens in the last half a year, 10 minutes before that, talking about the um, compressed version of my first speech and then 20 minutes questions answered. And I got so many questions like three at, at a time sometimes that I could have made 40 minutes questions answers. So it got really very fascinated uh, feedback from the game developers. Hmm. Obviously, they, they, well, they usually don't hear somebody talking, um, doing this press journalism thing as a hobby and pretty successful as we do, I guess. Yeah. Um, the other news is Protovision announced Civilization 8-bit for the Commodore 64. Yeah. And that's real kicker, you know. And, and it looks um, really good, too. It's awesome, yeah. Well, what, what can I say? I'm doing puppy relation for the social media for Protovision. <laughs> Conflict <It's>, of interest. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm, I'm not... Um, I'm not giving info out yeah, before yeah. I'm allowed to give it out. No problem. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, yeah. So We also did a stream the other day while we're talking about things that we've done. We did a lovely right. stream in, in mostly black and white on Twitch. Yes. In, in which York sucked at every game that we came along. That we, that we yes. Had. Yes. We, we played tech toy games. So Mega Drive and Game Gear games that were especially released for the Brazilian market by Tectoy. And that is a follow-up of the interview we did with the chairman of Tectoy a yes. while ago with Stefano Arnold. Uh, yep. And so when we interviewed him, we promised um, that we would do that podcast. So that we, uh, that Number 28, two podcasts ago. Yeah. So... Um, as always, we tried to get the complete picture, and you know, mm-hmm. yeah, and it was a pretty successful stream. <clears throat> oh, sorry, I have to repeat that. So, it was a pretty successful stream, I have to say. Thanks for the participation, the questions. We were asked a couple of times, why is this black and white? <laughs> so, yes, this is because Brazil has Paul M, which is American Screen Sync by European PAL colors mm-hmm. because color was brought to Brazil by Philips, which is a Dutch company. Right. And this is why they have this special TV standard that only Brazil has. It is not supported by anything else um, except some TVs and projectors. Mm-hmm. And every time I bought a TV or a projector, I made sure that the device I get... Um, works with Paul M, but the USB crapper you get here in Germany can't handle that. And even the converter that was supposed to convert from Paul M said, oh, it's NTSC, so it kept being black and white. <laughs> so even that sometimes is misdetected. It was enough to get the point across. We, we understood what we were looking yeah. at. True, yeah. And um, AJ was most amazed about... Bonanza Pros. I've been trying to figure out. I've I've looked into that some more as to why everybody in Bonanza Brothers is a robot, and I can't I can't find any backstory. Mm. Probably because there is none. Mm. It's just it's it, just a game that somebody made and decided to make everyone robots. But 
It bothers me it why that's, that's the why that's the case. Another news is Red Rogers has been released. Yes. The successor of Commander Keen yeah. from 2D Realms. And I did an unboxing and review, and you can see that in YouTube too. Yep. So feel free to check that out. We also got, um, you got Defender of the Crown, yeah? Yeah. Cinemore. For the Spectrum. Uh-huh. Released by Cinemaware Retro. We were sent a review copy for Andrew Fisher, who is our Spectrum guy, and I sent it off to him on uh, Saturday. Cool. So as soon as he received that, you will see a YouTube video of him unboxing that. It's a game that was long time announced to be released officially in a box with manual and stuff on a cassette. Mm-hmm. And now it's finally out, you know. One thing that we figured after interviewing Cinemaware, when there was still Cinemaware, not Cinemaware Retro, that people don't have patience. People always are like, are you sure they are still going to release that? I'm saying, yeah, they will just have patience, you know. But it's like with, with Rocket Ranger Reloaded. If you, if you once cancel a project, put it on ice, people are afraid that this will happen with any other project afterwards. Yeah. But I, but I trust Sven Fersing. I'm pretty sure he Sounds will like keep his word. So I don't think he would run away with the money and say screw you. No, no, I, I don't think so either. So I want to give a little little advertisement, a little shout out to a person on YouTube who uh, does some videos. She's mostly an Amiga person, but she's been doing some C64 stuff. And uh, her 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 name is is Medea Al Husseini. Uh, it's Miss Mad Lemon on YouTube, and I'll put a link to the description because no one knows because it's a really weird long thing url but it's been instrumental in in helping me figure out how to fix an on off switch and there there it is it's fixed now it, it was broken before um, wow and uh, that was a commodore that was not a an amiga that was a c64 yeah. yeah i do have an amiga on the way i am i am happy to report i'm getting an amiga 500 and i know nothing about the amiga so this will be a fun learning experience for me I always, I always, I always insisted to not learn another system. So everybody is trying to sell me an Amiga. I was saying, no, I don't have, I don't have well, the energy to learn another computer system. Well, I've always wanted. When I was younger, I always wanted an Amiga. I wanted a, an a Amiga twelve hundred. Is what I wanted, and uh, I had saved up almost enough money to have it when I was in like high school. I saved up every money that I had, every penny I had, until I had enough to buy it, and then Commodore went out of business. And I couldn't buy it anywhere, so so I've never had one. And so that does this mean in the future we will see Amiga game coverage from potentially, you? Potentially, potentially. Um, I don't know what exactly. I'm. There's no real purpose for me to have it because, I, you know, back back then that was going to be my my the upgrade of my my computer. That's was that was going to be what I was going to use as my main machine because back in you know '95 or so when you could do that. Um, but now it's just a matter of, I've just always wanted one, and someone was like, "Hey, I've got an Amiga 500. Do you want it?" And I'm like, "Yeah." You know, I, I still like. I still would uh, like to have like the 1200 because that's kind of like the gold standard, the Amiga 1200. But, but the 1200 and the 600 have, you know, they got the problems with the batteries and the capacitors, and everything leaks, and it's hard to find one that's that's you know still in, intact. Whereas the 500, I don't think really suffered from that too much. So. 
it's it, and and the 500 is kind of the baseline model that you can get. So I've I don't really know much about it. I've got bits on order. I've got like new Kickstart ROMs coming, and I've got a new workbench. I I don't think it comes with software. I didn't I didn't ask the guy, and and he didn't specify. So I've got um, I've got new Kickstart ROMs. I've got new uh, workbench discs, and well, they just released the new Amigo S like two years ago, last year. Yeah, yeah last that, year I think it was. But that won't work on a on a five hundred. That's got to have a power PC or an oh, acceleration. Okay. The the I think three point one is the last one that'll work on a. On a classic Amiga. It's still interesting that Amiga is still around in a way, but but there's less, far less development than for the Commodore 64, unfortunately. Still, really, I I thought it was just about equal because the the Amiga no, guys were not. pretty diehard. Um, not in the hardware area, I guess. Oh, okay. And not so much games like the Commodore 64. No, anyway, we will figure that out. Well, the 64 be has had Amiga a really perfect. the 64 has had a real kind of in the past year or two has really had kind of another like a second wind in game development and everything. People are coming out with new like commercialish titles. I mean, I you know obviously I don't think you need to really spend money on them; they'll they'll show up. There was a game that was just put out. It's on cartridge, and you have to. It's an adventure game. That's it was so weird because I'm looking at these specifications, like what you need to run it, and it's like you need to have Windows Seven or better, Mac OS ten point whatever, Commodore sixty four. And it, it was it, it was so weird. You mean to the see RPG? That. Yeah, yeah. Not an adventure. The RPG that is on Kickstarter right, right now. Right, yeah. Okay. Well, adventure RPG, whatever. Same same thing. No, it's not. I hated RPGs. That is why I didn't buy it. I'm sorry. Really, I liked RPGs. No, I don't. So this is why I, this is the only Kickstarter in the C64 game area that I didn't spend my money on <laughs> because I'm not interested in RPGs. Well, plus it was you know a stupid amount of money for a cartridge. But yeah, still. Yeah, but I mean, still. yeah, it, it's there's there's been a lot of stuff like that, and and you know, uh, Pond Software has been coming out with all kinds of stuff this year. Yeah, there are there are actually emailing people that. Uh, cast that their interest and mm -hmm. the pre-orders should start on the 20th of february they announced yeah. and they and in the forum they showed pictures of how the game will look like mm -hmm. packaging manuals and so on it's looking beautiful yeah. well what would you expect from vanya atna true can true. only be great yeah. mermaid is a master in art mm -hmm. you know and a pretty good coder from what I heard, too. So, yes, no indeed. questions about that. I used to be in a demo group with her, too. Nice. Nice. This is like my, my main claim to fame in the scene, is that I, I was in a demo group with Mermaid for like three months. Okay. Great. <laughs> so, real quick, we also have something from Atari, I think. Yes, the Atari... <laughs> the new Atari announced <laughs> that tomorrow there will be a Kickstarter on the 8th of February, which will be in the past for you, but it's, well, still four, four days after after you hear this, so it's fine. And if you, if you search on Kickstarter for the Atari smartwatch, you will find an Atari smartwatch. There are no more details <laughs> than that it will be a smartwatch for gamers. So look forward to that. <laughs> okay. It's funny because we did this interview with the person who did lead the dig 
the Atari dick, Joe Lewandowski, and he says, like, something weird happens in history and Atari dies. And it's coming out of the ashes again. Then it dies again. Then it's coming out of the ashes again. Then it dies again. It's called and this the, is another, the, the, another the real... Band. Yeah. Uh, and it's coming again. They are trying it again. Okay. That's... It's like an undead company. Yeah, Atari doesn't want to go away. And I don't know... I don't know what they do anymore. I mean... I thought it was just software Smart now. Smartwatches. Well, they want to. Yeah, they want to get into it, but uh, I will have a look at it. If it's good, if it's at a, it's if it's at a decent price, I might consider it. Maybe a smartwatch built for gamers, uh, and it says it's going to be a powerful smartwatch like no other. It doesn't really tell me anything. Yeah, but more tomorrow on the eighth. Yeah. Okay. All right, Atari. I uh sure. We could we could invite Atari to the podcast. Yeah, bring bring Atari on. Let's let's learn about this. Can we get a demo unit? We'll review it. <laughs> uh, we'll see about that. Yes. Speaking of getting demo units to review. Let's Oh yeah. Why do we have music playing? Because this is a special moment in our podcast. Oh? Yes! Because recently we got a review unit of Thimbleweed Park! Oh yeah! And now we have the pleasure to talk about that. It's the next new game from Ron Gilbert. We all know him from games like Zack McCracken, Maniac Mansion, and he is also Monkey the inventor Island. of Monkey the Scum, Scum Interface Monkey Island, yes. And in the first quarter of this year, he is releasing Thimbleweed Park, and um, so we got um, a press review, and we had the, the fun to play it, AJ played it on his Mac, I played yep. it on my Windows 10 PC. Yep. So let's talk a bit about that. Absolutely. <laughs> I, I liked it. I you know, I I've never I'm not really much of a of a, of a gamer. Like I, I cover this stuff, but but you know, as far as being a hardcore gamer, I, I never really was one that you know, really. But this game playing this kinda reminded me that that I did actually play games and I did enjoy it. I used to play Monkey Island and Maniac Mansion. Well, not so much Maniac Mansion. I didn't play them much on the C64. I played them on the Mac, which were pretty much straight ports of the Amiga versions of Monkey Island and even like Loom and stuff like that. And I, I loved those games and this was pretty much the same thing. This was, you know, that, that sort of genre and it right down to the Right down to the graphics and the animations and everything. I mean, it was straight out of that. It was straight out of that time period and everything. It was well done. Yes, well, what what I really like about that is the kind of jokes he has in mm -hmm. it, you know? Where he refers to, to jokes that you wouldn't expect, like making a reference to Monkey Island mm -hmm. or something, you know? Yeah, well, or, that's... I mean, that, that's a that's a... That's a main 
thing they used to do. You know, there was a, a section in, in Monkey Island 2, I think. No, maybe the first the Secret of Monkey Island, where uh, he walks into a bar and he's talking to uh, talking to one of the pirates, and the pirate is just goes on and on and, and does a whole advertisement for another game that they're doing. <laughs> yeah. You know, so, I mean, that's that's the kind of thing that that I'd come to expect from these games, and it was nice to see it back in there. Well, one one part I really liked is um, in Maniac Mansion you had a chainsaw, mm-hmm. but no no gasoli- gasoline, right? You know, so like, okay, what's a chainsaw for? You have no gasoline, you cannot even turn it on. And on Maniac uh, on on Zach McCracken, when you were on the Mars, there was a um, a unit of gasoline. And if you try to pick it, it says, sorry, this is for another game. Yeah. You know? And, um, funny, you know? Yeah. And, um, yeah, so, so, it's also interesting to mention that um, this game is based on a different technique. It's not based on a, on a advanced scum engine. Right. It's it, it, based it looks on something new. It looks like the scum engine. It feels like the old scum engine. Um, but it's, I guess it's, well, obviously I'm sure it's based on something different because, you know, to, to use the same thing would be, would be problematic today. But, I mean, it feels and looks just like the old games. And you can look, you can look on YouTube and there's a couple of places that have kind of run-throughs of, of the game so far. I know IGN's got one. Um, so you can see that, um, we might put one up when the game is out. Uh, we can't, uh, you know. At at this point, there, there's a there's a uh, an embargo on information sending being put out. The, this podcast will be released after that embargo is lifted, obviously, because otherwise we couldn't talk about it without getting in trouble. But but once it comes out and we get a chance to play through, maybe we'll do a do a review of it. Sure, I I got the boxed copy for one hundred fifty dollars. So okay, I will I will definitely review that. And um, we also did an interview at Gamescom yeah. with Robert McGowan, who is Quality Assurance, and also a fan of Zach McCracken and Maniac Mansion. And you can see that on YouTube, uh, youtube.seamworld.org. And if you go to the Gamescom um, playlist, you can see the... Um, the interview with Robert McGowan that also that also includes some pictures and press videos where you can actually see some of the some of the gameplay. Right. What I really like what I really like about it is that they kept a lot of stuff inside that we know from Maniac Mansion right. or um, Sekma Crack, not so much from Monkey Island, but you can you can actually switch between characters. Yeah. Yep. And you can, you can continue the game with an entire diff- different character at some point, you know. Yeah. And then you see the whole story from a different point of view. And after you made that part, you go back to the other character. And so you are seeing the stories from different sides. Right. It's quite interesting, yeah. yeah, yeah. And also what I also liked is they kept... They kept the um, cutscenes. Yeah. Yeah. What what I really what I really miss I have to say is a scanline filter. 
especially from my perspective, because, you know, when CRT is on the Commodore 64 or even on the PC, it didn't look as pixelated and blocky, you know, because you had that Paul Pluer, blur, that Paul blur, and everything would be like a bit vashed out uh -huh. and not be as sharp as nowadays LCDs, TFT techniques. So I miss that. And um, hopefully, maybe they will put it in at a later point after some patches. Who knows? Yeah. But right now, it doesn't appear to be in there. Yeah. That's not really that much of a deal breaker for me. I played when I played Monkey Island, and, and um, I was on a on a 6800 based Mac, uh, you know, and, and it was on a like a, a VGA caliber monitor, so. You know, a lot of the, the C64 and Amiga and stuff, you're working with a monitor that is essentially a TV. You know, it's a 640 by 480 resolution thing. And, it, you know, it gets it is a little fuzzy. Um, but when I played it, I was playing it on a much higher resolution thing. So I didn't really have that much blur or the washed out colors or anything. It, it is different from, you know, an LCD. But, you know, I didn't really notice too much, too much difference as far as... You know, as far as that goes. And I've actually got the games. I've played them on, on my laptop here. I've got the, the Scum VM, the virtual engine for it. So I've played some of them on this, and, you know, it's it's fine. So does the Scum VM actually, does that have the filter? I don't know. I have no idea. Yeah, I don't know. That's a good but question. But interesting, Ron Gilbert, Gary Wittnick, and all the rest of the team from the original game, you know, they really made a good, a good job, I think. Uh -huh. Yeah. It does, it does And, it. yeah. What I also miss, but they made that clear from the beginning of the Kickstarter, is that there's no retro-like video game music inside. It's mm. just like modern music. It's well, it's good atmospheric music, but I would have preferred if, if it was, you know, um, more like retro. Or if you had an option, like Outrun... Um, 2006 Coast to Coast where oh. you could decide between the classical retro outrun music and the rearrangements. Well, that's that's like the um, the, the reissue, the remaster of Monkey Island that's available out. Uh, you can switch between new graphics and old graphics and new music and old music. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. For me, I don't, I, don't, I don't mind so much. I, I can I can do, I like the, the, the music isn't so, that doesn't bother me so much. I like the fact that it's got voices. Which oh yeah, the original ones didn't have. So you, you sure, know, because voice the acting. technique the technique wasn't so far back then. Yeah. Right, um, but 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 I like the fact that it's got these more advanced features like voices and stuff like that. But still, there there's something there's something about the old graphics, especially in those games. You know, they had a, there was a very interesting style that they used, especially with Monkey Island. You know, it was it was very kind of. I, I can't even describe what what kind of art that was, and it kind of loses something because they updated Monkey Island, and you know it's got newer graphics and stuff in the remasters, and it just isn't quite the same. You know, it it, it I don't know, it just doesn't look right. And there was a couple of 3D versions that were on the PlayStation, and when you try to translate that style of graphics, it's very sort of I, uh, artistic kind of. I can't I can't even describe the kind of art it is but it's it doesn't translate well to 3d or to you know non-pixelation hmm. 
And this new release it has all that. Yes. It has the same graphic style you you are used to. Yep. So you guys should check it out. It's uh, civilweedpark.com is the website uh, where you can see what's going on with it, and I guess you can buy it through there, or um, I guess when it's available, you can buy it through there. There you go. Well, it's going to be available for for Mac, Windows, Linux, Linux, whatever you say it. Xbox, iOS, and Android. So it should be in some app stores. It should just be floating around. So, yeah, the thing is, and that is the reason why I was backstage at the last Gamescom at Microsoft is, it's a, a three month exclusive for Xbox. Oh, okay. And after the three months exclusive, it will be released on other consoles like PlayStation Two. Oh, all right, cool. Well, that is why. Nice. And once again, you can go back and uh, go to youtube.cmworld.org and listen to the interview with Robert McGowan if you want to know all the <clears throat> sorry if you want to know all the technical details mm-hmm. and also see some pictures and some videos from the game itself. And you will hopefully agree with us that this is pretty pretty. Yeah. So thank you for listening to us. Now let's jump to the Mega 65, guys. Excellent. There we go. <laughs> Party time. Great. <laughs> so this is our Mega 65 update call. And Detlef was kindly reminding me on the last retro börse that, that we had disappointments. So... Let's talk about what's new, guys. What did happen in the year since we spoke has the been, last Has time? it been a year since we talked to him? Yeah, I guess so. Almost, yeah. May, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, it says February 2016 yeah, okay. on our yeah, homepage. February yeah. 7, yeah. So, yeah, about uh, just about a year. So. But yeah, I did not get you on. We met at the retro fair and there was some disappointment. No, no, no. You said, you said, you said, I said you remembered me that we have an appointment. Ah, Ah. Appointment, not disappointment. Appointment. I heard heard disappointment too, but that wasn't good. And appointment. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I never, I never would be disappointed. No way. (laughs) No, okay. So I guess the, the year in between. So I think. This time last year, we had made the the prototypes based on the 3D model of the case, mm-hmm. and we kind of got to that uh, initial demonstrable stage with the VHDL, where we could boot a ROM and these kind of nice things. Um, in the meantime, it's been an interesting year. It's, if we're honest, uh, for re- almost everyone involved in the Mega 65 project, it has been an incredibly busy year. Um, life has happened all around us in a variety of fascinating ways. Um, in most cases, really good ways, but this has meant that we've all had a little bit less time than we would have liked to give to the Mega 65 project. So we haven't made the same amount of progress in the last year as we made in the 12 months prior to that, but we have made some very important progress. Um, so we've now kind of got a, a list, which I think only has probably half a dozen items on it that are um, I guess things that we see as showstoppers in terms of the VHDL side of things, 
that we need to implement to say, yeah, we have something which is a, a good version one of the Mega 65 that we can then uh, refine. And so there's been a, a number of things that have been fixed. Uh, the SD card support is now uh, much nicer. We now have a nice disk menu instead of this horrible thing that I'd written in about 15 minutes for choosing <laughs> disks off the FAT file system. And the mounting of disks happens through the hypervisor uh, on the Mega 65. Yeah, so, there's, a list, there's a list of updates. Andre, would you maybe like to uh, uh, present us the list of updates we sent out to... Okay, um, sure. Back again. Sorry. Thank you. Yeah. So maybe we can summarize a little bit what was achieved. So we have obviously worked on the VHDL code base, which is now almost feature complete. We have worked on a dedicated FPGA board design, which is also almost completed. So we expect that we will have the real Mega 65 boards in, um, in the shape that we want them within the next two to three months. So this is a work in progress with the, um, with the company that we contracted for producing the FPGA board. We have completely re-engineered and 3D modeled the case um, where we have basically have produced some prototype cases of that already with uh, prototyping, rapid prototyping uh, mechanisms. We have more or less sorted out the keyboard and the case supply chain. Um, so this is also in, in a good state currently. We have, which is basically more new, um, GEOS support secured. So we will also have possibility to run GEOS on the Mega 65, potentially also in higher resolutions than was possible on C64. So we have also permission, obviously, to use the GEOS uh, code base. Hmm. And, um, yeah, we have several fully assembled prototype machines as of yet. And yeah, this is a very good, good situation to be in. Uh, may I add that we are also allowed to distribute our special Geos version with a machine. Mm. Who who took Geos over again? Was it Jim Prain or something? I remember it was a pretty no, much known name Morris, in the Morris Randall. No, there was somebody after that who took oh. over Geos. Was it Morris Randall? Seriously, you can easily solve that riddle by. Uh, googling a bit it took me like 15 minutes and i contacted the obviously last word, uh, person in the chain and he was uh, very kind and he said yeah no problem you can uh give it for free and then i am fine with it and uh, uh yeah i later heard that that person was uh, is meant to be very hard to communicate with or to contact but well, oh. for me, it turned out very well, and uh, we're happy with that. And, uh, yeah, there will be a special Geos. Um, actually, I think uh, the the code base we are using at the moment is based on the C128 enhanced Geos version. Mm. Um, but as Andre said, of course, we are trying to get more and, of course, all the uh, Mega 65 features are fully uh, to work, uh, especially high resolutions, might be really appealing for Geos. Yeah, you're right. Um, Morris actually, you know, sometimes he's a bit slow, but personally never had a problem with him. I mean, I got my CMD smart mouse repaired after warranty, 
it took seven months, but wasn't really a big deal for me. So I got it. I got it repaired for free. So I was happy. So yeah, it's true. The, the easiest way to reach Maurice Rondell is actually using his phone number, <laughs> because he he answers the phone almost all the time. That's of course the easiest way. But it's good to know that Maurice is um, giving you the permission to actually improve the Geos version. So there will be a new Geos, or will there just be some new resolution, or do you also plan on implementing some new features in the Geos? Well, Jörg, uh, let let it be put it like this. Of course, we have huge plans for the Geos, even maybe implementing uh, it on boot level, so that uh, the Kickstart features would uh, also be in Windows mode or something, but. It all depends on the people that are contributing to the project. And, uh, yeah, uh, you heard that it has been a really busy year for us, and uh, we could always need more people to get the things even better. So um, Geos is, of course, not number one uh, uh, top priority for a release of the machine, but uh, it will be very nice to have. And we have currently two people working on that, and we're really happy about that. But, uh, um, yeah, besides high resolution and more colors and incredible loading speeds and stuff like that and support for other mouses and uh, whatever you like in that direction is, um, yeah, probably going to happen. But there can always be more. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, so it's, it's, yeah. We're always looking for anyone who wants to contribute to, uh, to the project. And it's such a complex uh, project and uh, that there are uh, is a huge number of uh, subtasks that are each of them are really complex and can be done in yeah that way or the other. And uh, as you know, we're not aiming for a very cheap, uh, cheaply made product that is um, yeah will be sold to. Uh, lots of consumers. Uh, it's uh, it's a fan nerd, whatever you want to call it, uh, project, and uh, we are earning nothing on it, and we are giving lots of sweat and tears and blood into that. And uh, yeah, everyone who is willing to join is happily welcome. And the more people uh, join us in in uh, making this perfect, uh, the quicker it will be finished. This was the word for Sunday, or whatever you call it in English. Okay, okay. Yeah, it's it's pretty much interesting because um, AJ and I, in our last podcast, for example, we had Jens Schoenfeld, and he is also working on an FPGA-based, um, well, C64 Reloaded next to the C64 Reloaded Mark II that will be more like a norm, uh, like an original board design and also um, a bit earlier on we talked to to Darren Mailburn who actually worked on the Z64 so that is even also an FPGA based uh, Z64 but more aimed for the masses so when when Mega 65 is coming out you will not be the only FPGA based C64 solution anymore no but here is a really key difference to all of those other ones. Our project is unique in that it is fully open source so that the community can benefit from what we're doing in perpetuity. If in five years' time Mega is no longer able to make another Mega 65, 
the community will be able to make their own. They'll be able to make spare parts. They'll be able to fix bugs. They will have a degree of control and ownership of the platform and participation in the platform that I don't think exists to the same extent in any of these other projects. Right. It'll be a lot like um, similar to how um, with the SD2IEC devices that are available now, you, you see them from a lot of different people selling their own kind of little versions of it. So with this, once you've put it out there, at some point in the future, there could be 10 different individuals making their own version of it. Uh, exactly. Each with their own little spins. Exactly. And, yeah. It's a healthy diversity and it creates a resilience. I mean, again, the other, you know, if we step further afield from just the 8-bit space, when look at Linux um, versus Windows. Which one is growing in market share year by year? Uh, and which one, whilst having a number of attractive properties, if you're a commercial entity trying to sell it, has actually ended up with a, a much weaker position than it had, you know, 20 years ago versus the open source side. So, you know, and in saying that, Windows still has a really key and valuable place to play in the market space, right? And so from our perspective, we see these proprietary closed source solutions where these people wish to control the uh, what they're creating completely so that they can bring it out commercially and that that has a great advantage for many people. And we are complementing that by making this, you know, free and open uh, solution that, yeah, initially it may be rougher around the edges than the proprietary ones, but the ability for not just us, um, you know, is not constrained by the economics of the 8-bit market and having to have something ready today or in 12 months time or whatever the time frame is like Linux, it can be you know, improved upon, you know, year after year after year. And I think in the long term that that's actually uh, the healthiest uh, solution that I can think of, um, you know, to, to complement what's already out there. And so the, um, so the question will be from the customer side, who will buy which solution? I mean, well, it's going to add Can a certain somebody, amount of it's yeah. it's going to add a certain amount of um, competition and and it's going yeah. to improve final products because because your yeah. sixty five might need to be better than someone else's in order to drive sales to that. Yeah, exactly. So so we have a difference. You have a different situation than you had one year ago. Yeah, but this is fine. The, the world changes. I mean, look <laughs> look at the world twelve months ago compared to today. Um, yeah, the, the changes that we have in the 8-bit market space are, shall we say, very subdued and uh, nuanced uh, compared to some of the other changes that have gone about in the world in the meantime, um, which, again, from our perspective, I think the people we will attract, some will be attracted just because of what the thing can do, and that's fantastic, and others, I think, will be attracted by that this is a solution which is long-term, that it doesn't matter, you know, what happens to the survivability of you know, uh, the eight-bit market? Um, in any way, they will you know, continue to be able to uh, you know, to enjoy what they have, and if they so choose, uh, you know, to address uh, issues that they see with that, and you know, potentially, you know, as we say, in a number of years' time, someone else might actually pick up uh, you know, what we're creating and release you know, an even better version. Uh, that comes out. I think it's actually for us. It's one of the really beautiful things. Um, pardon me about uh, this approach. I guess if you like, we're being 
you know, we, we, we're social technologists in that we are creating technology for the social good. If in the process of doing that, someone else, uh, you know, comes along and if you like cuts our lunch by doing it even better than we are, and it's as open as what we're doing now because they've used what we have, then actually they're saving us a whole pile of work <laughs> to do yeah. that. It would be perfect. Yeah, it's it's yeah. Yeah, the what defines civil society is people sharing and contributing to uh, the, the well-being, the commonwealth of uh, community, and we're very happy to be playing our part in that. So, um, is just the software side that will be open, or do you also plan to? to make it possible for everybody to reproduce the hardware, you know, like the cases, plans for the cases, you know, plans for the secret boards. Will, yes. will even there be the hardware open source kind of? Um, to the full extent that we're able to do so. The yeah. unfortunate reality of making hardware is that this is not always as easy uh, as possible. We have, I think, some very exciting options uh, for getting the, the PCB made and making it available in the long term in a, a robust kind of way. Um, whether that allows us to make that circuit board fully open source, I'm not sure. I suspect that in the very least the schematic for it will be out there. And if Absolutely. someone really wanted to go to the effort of, um, uh, you know, relaying the board out and making their own, I, I don't see why they wouldn't be able to do that. Um, and for the hardware, And this, is, this has been one of the, the interesting challenges over the past 12 months as we think about the right way to make the case and the keyboard because the non-returnable engineering costs for making plastic injection molding for something the size of a computer case is significant. Uh, we're talking many tens of thousands of euros uh, in all likelihood to do that. I suspect even making the keyboard from scratch would cost 10 to 20,000 euros to do all the engineering to the point where we can say, okay, we can now start churning out uh, keyboards uh, at a, a nice low price. Uh, and so, so you will make 3D printed cases instead to keep the price lower? I wouldn't say no, that that's a false economy. Because um, if you do 3D printed cases, not only is the quality inferior, um, but the per unit cost of those may actually be higher than the amortized mm. cost. So this is, this is a whole Gordian knot. And we, we, you know, one of our challenges over the next few months is to try and unpick this uh, and see what we can do. I mean, in a completely different project, I'm starting to gain some understanding of how this whole injection molding you know, side of things works uh, for something quite unrelated uh, to this. But the, that know-how uh, will be quite helpful as we think through what the possibilities are, what the options are, You know, and like with anything, once you've kind of gone through the process once, it's then easier to do it again. And so it might be that we can you know, design the tooling, at least in part ourselves, to really reduce the cost because the cost of getting the injection molding tools designed is probably a third to a half of the cost of that process. Wow. And then, of course, you know, getting yeah. people to start with a huge block of hardened machine steel Uh, and make it the right shape for you uh, is also, of course, uh, another significant cost. Um, and then there's this whole kind of trade-offs that come into these things of, you know, do we get, you know, if we get that kind of tooling made, we can partner with a manufacturer uh, in China, for example, and they can make it for us and they can look after the mold and we say, okay, we need 400 cases or 1,000 cases or 10 cases 
whatever, and they will make them, but they will own the tool. Um, and maybe that's cheaper upfront, but more expensive down the track and less control mm. for us down the track. Or it's much more expensive, but we could get the tool made in Germany or in Australia, depending you know, where our team is kind of split between those two countries for the most part. And get the tool made and go, okay, now we physically own the tool. We can look at it. We can poke it with a stick. Uh, we can take it to any plastic injection molder we like and say, please put this into your machine and turn us out some number of cases. And so these are all possibilities that we're looking through and there's, they all have really interesting advantages. And it's just a case of us working out exactly how we can uh, best do this with the opportunities and the, the uh, frustratingly limited resources that we have at, at our disposal. Because this is one trade-off to doing it so open is that we don't, you know, we're not part of a, a company that has a pile of cash. So we can't simply sit down and say, okay, we're going to invest 50,000 euros or 100,000 euros um, and get all of this stuff done so that it's cheapest going forward in the long term. That's just not an option to us unless we found some way or, you know, if anyone happens to know a, you know, a rich chic who has a, 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 you know, an enduring burning interest in the 8-bit uh, space uh, and would love to uh, to be our patron. We would yeah, love to hear from them. Actually, um, we're looking into uh, crowdfunding options all the time and uh, we're <laughs> just back uh, to that discussion to get exactly that money to uh, produce the modes. So, um, yeah, but uh, as Paul said, um, we are very limited in our time. So, um, again, any well, anybody who has proper knowledge or is part of a company who could help us in that way, um, yeah, please send us an email. The original molds yeah. for it they were never they were never found because I know that that they have the original sixty four that were the sixty four C molds, and then they also had I think they found the one twenty eight and the plus four molds as well, and they went to a museum or somewhere. The 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 sixty five never. Did that even have a proper mold, or was that just so? Uh, I, I think it, looking at the um, the units that, like the one that I owned for fifteen years, mm -hmm. um, that unit was clearly injection molded. Um, so the one that I had never had the the serial number sticker on the bottom, and so you could actually see the um, you know the, the the nipple where the plastic mm. uh, was fed into it. So that was there, there clearly was a mold. Um, it. Whether it fit 100%, this is a completely different thing. It would have needed to be modified. Um, and indeed, that could be why it was never found, was that it was never actually at Commodore to be auctioned off at the time. It may have been in the hands of, you know, goodness knows which company that does injection molding tooling um, to adjust some of the fiddly things. So, for example, the clearance around the, oh, goodness me, I'm trying to remember now, it was either the up or the right cursor key um, was too tight. Uh, so anyone that uh, had one of the early prototypes basically had to sand the um, the case a little bit so that the key wouldn't stick all the time. Um, and, yeah, so as, to cut to the end of that, as far as we know, the original mold is lost. Okay. Yeah, the first prototype of the case we produced, uh, we tried to be as close as possible to the original, had uh, exact the same problem at the uh, same uh, spot so uh, yeah we are fixing some things but uh, still it will be really original looking very much like the original mm. um, yeah maybe uh, one thing because you mentioned Jens Schoenfeld 
um, I absolutely raise my virtual hat to uh, him because he's uh, living from producing stuff like that. And uh, you regarding what you said, um, the mass market or consumer market, um, when we are looking in those things, you, uh, yeah, we qu quickly learned that um, you can maybe for the consumer market sell something like this for two ninety nine or something, and if you want to do that, you have to produce it for under eighty euros, and uh, then you absolutely cannot use like we do the quickest FPGA on the market and you cannot have retro RAM and you cannot have all that ports, uh, especially the old school ones like uh, C64 expansion port, which we have. Uh, it's not possible. So um, the thing about our project is that um, we are not making any profit here. We're doing it for uh, preservation purposes and um, of course because we're loving we would love to have a computer like this and uh, it's we cannot buy it so we want to produce it and of course we are very perfectionist about everything and uh, yeah so things take a little longer unless you have an army of people helping you mm -hmm. and um, yeah sometimes some people join sometimes uh, some leave and it's an ongoing process and we'll see how quick we are on the long run mm. but, but, but is it looking more positive than it did like last year do you see that your um, that the interest is still growing and st still going on despite you have as i said some competition now it's not competition they cannot do it like we do it for no profit it's not possible see um if we we all we need to find out who or how many people will actually uh buy the machine for the price we need to have which will be the the cost we have to uh, pay plus like maybe 10%, maybe we even split that off and say, you can donate to our uh, mega EV and uh, the other things we give for free. Yeah, we just, uh, uh, you just pay our suppliers and uh, we will see about that. And you actually, you cannot do this. And uh, uh, we are trying hard because um, giving up has is not an option for any one of us, and we have done crazy demo scene and other projects before, and we never gave up. Gave up, up. but uh, uh, of course, uh, uh, producing a computer like this that is highly compatible to uh, maybe the most famous and sophisticated computer in the 8-bit era, plus having all the, the modern features you like, and also very very enhanced 8-bit modes that actually feel very original but you can do crazy stuff that was not possible at that time or you just can do stuff quicker or you can have a c compiler because you just don't want to code in assembler whatever uh this is something we all want to have and we want to give it to, to the community of whatever freaks nerds we'll see who actually buys it i think people also that got a, a little bit of money and are not coders uh, might be interested but um, it's well. It's something for for developers or at least people that are interested uh, how it's working and and yeah, trying to enhance it. And there might be. We are also discussing this. Andre just asked if uh, we should raise that topic. We are discussing uh, to make a 
uh, smaller amount, not 1,000, but maybe 100 pieces uh, in the first run or 200 and to see what the actual reactions is and give those only to developers or people that want to contribute in one way or the other. And uh, this will be probably because it's a small series more expensive than a later version. Uh, but uh, it's just something we, we think would be very, very beneficial to a, a perfect 8-bit machine. Yeah. Mm. And if you think, uh, keep going, uh, thinking those uh, things, there might be an uh, uh, ASIC-based version in 5 or 10 years, which is actually very cheap to produce for like 50 euros, and you can have your 199 thing. But... Uh, um, doing it, this in your free time for free, just because you you love to do that, uh, takes time unless you have an army of people. It's mm. very very, and we were still astonished how complex this is. It starts with the little things like uh, if you imagine the box, not only the design, but you have to produce it in a proper way and. Um, you have to add some paperwork and there must be warnings today about these things or the others don't use it a, a, as a, a parachute. Uh, if you remember that we warnings that were, were very funny. These are all very complex topics and there's like 500 of them. Mm. Yes, it's it's true. Um, I mean, I'm, I've, I'm actually working um, in... Um, medical devices, documentation and testing. And also you have to you have to fulfill some regulations so you are allowed actually to sell the product to, to Europe and stuff, right? Mm -hmm. And that's also something you have to take into account when you design a product. Yeah. So, so we have some yeah we may we may um may decide to go into the direction of having something like an early adopter uh, product which is more of a limited series as Steph outlined earlier that uh, that will will be available then sooner and uh, probably some more expensive than a cost reduced one that will be produced later based on an ASIC or whatever more cost efficient technology so mm. that's basically of the, the, the idea that we're discussing yeah um, the price of the FPGAs actually goes down over time as well. And this is one of the yeah. decisions we made to use this really nice fast FPGA is we looked at the previous generation that were 200 US dollars a few years back and now they're $12. And so at some point, the FPGA, which is a single most expensive component, it'll be like, oh, you want one of those horrible, boring old Altic 7 uh, FPGAs? What can you do with that? It only has half a megabyte of, um, you know, of the uh, built-on RAM and you can't do anything in that anymore. Um and we'll say thank you very much. We'll have them for twelve dollars, please. So I think yes, we can. Yeah, because we, can. we, <laughs> okay. we, we, we are playing for the long term. Um, but us going back a little bit to the um, you know, talking about these other you know, really cool things that other people are, are building as well. I think for the core market and you know the small productions that we're kind of looking at, I think just because you own a Chameleon or a Mega sixty five or a C sixty four reloaded, is that going to stop those people from buying? two or all three of those things because they really want to have them. You know, we, we, this is not a market, if you like, that's based on, um, you know, essential need in life. Um, it's, we hope it's for the people who take these things because they love uh, the things. It's the nostalgia. It's 
maybe for some of the younger people, it's you know, experiencing some of these, you know, the joys of working on a constrained machine. Um, yeah, well, I just remember that when I when I bought a Commodore, a Commodore One in two thousand two, it did cost me around five hundred euros or something, and then at some point the software support stopped. And yeah. I never was able to get a decent picture out of it on my VGA monitor. That really killed the fun in it, you know? It, yeah. And so, so this is a really key point. So the, the thing that caused that problem is that the core was not open source. So the community could not sustain the software after the vendor stopped support. And there's a whole pile of complex reasons why that's the way it was for the C1. Um, but that's... We remember that pain that many people, including yourself, experienced. And this is, again, it's one of many reasons why we want to do it uh, open source so that that should never happen again. Which means after 20 years um, of Commodore um, Reloaded, FPGA and D64, you might be the only platform still being around maybe. But, and, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if that's the case. If you think about it, so Mega is the Museum of Electronic Games and Art. We have a conservatorial mindset from the beginning. We are making this thing so that it can last into the future, which, again, is why I think if we have the option to own the injection molding tools ourselves, that we would rather do that rather than them being more easily lost uh, in another country. So if we decided, okay, we don't want to do this anymore, we could – if we wanted to simply go to eBay and go, okay, Mega 65 injection mold tooling, you know, for sale to whoever wants to uh, to take it on. Or you know, we might get approached by another group that says, hey, we want to take this on for you. And we go, okay, fine. We gift it to you in return for you looking after the community. Um, so it's, yeah, all of these, you know, continuity and being able to pass the baton and successor planning and this kind of thing um, is very much uh, what we're thinking about. Yeah, well, you, you mentioned it. The museums thing is another thing you are doing, another part of of your um, registered club. That is what EV stands for. So um, exactly, and we're non-profit, and uh, yeah, honestly, the Mega Sixty Five project steals a lot of time from the museum project. Still, we did some exhibitions this year, which were very good. And, um, yeah, we're, ha we're having fun. <clears throat> so um, did you actually make plans for um, how long you want to support the Mega 65? And as you said, things were a bit slower last year than expected. Is the release date being pushed forward or back to a different date or see, see it, it has been the end of last year so this should probably be the answer and um, I hope you looked at the web page which we redid and uh, also uh, we informed uh, everybody via email about the latest things um, yeah if that answers your question But I guess to put it another way, I think we are moving the, the realization that life is so busy for us and yet we still really want to do this and we still love the project is that, if you like, we are now in the um, post-release date era. Um, we know we don't have the resources to give you a firm 
release date and the actual release date will depend on how busy our lives are and how many other people come along to step up to help us bring this uh, to reality to share with everybody. Oh yeah, but but you asked uh, how long will we gonna uh, support it? Yes, that was the other question I had. Do we have like a long-term plan once it has been released? Yeah, Do I you say like 10 years, 15 years? Like this this our baby, I, I would say we support it uh, uh, until we drop dead. <laughs> wow. And if we do, do everything right, there will be enough people to support it even longer than us. So mm. this is the idea behind it. Make the whole C64 thing open source, have a good compatibility. We all know 100%. If we want 100%, we need like five people working nonstop on that. Uh, so it will be 99.99 whatever percent. Um, but also give you the, the highly enhanced version that is still, uh, as we said, feels like the uh, original. Um, but yeah, is I, I mean, when you code on it, you just find okay, I can just do 40, 50 times the raster effects or whatever effects I did on the C64, but my code will run. And then you have this CPU enhancement, which gives you more cooler. Uh, opcodes, unless you say, no, I want the old ones because I'm using uh, illegal opcodes. We want to have that being switchable at any time. So um, you get everything that a nerd would want. And um, again, if there's anyone else that produces that machine at what whatever price, I mean, uh, personally, I will order two of them as I will when we are in production. So, and if there's a C64, whatever consumer version by everybody, anyone else, I will, of course, also buy that. So I don't know how many uh, mad people like me are there on this planet. So we have to find that out. But there are probably some. And, you know, yeah, I'm here as well. We we talked about you know Jurgen and I had been talking about sort of how the the how the marketplace works and 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 the, you know different companies that had tried to be sort of Commodore coming in and I had said to him that if I was if I could buy like the whole Commodore branding and everything what I would release is I would focus on the eight bit machines because that's what Commodore is really good at and that's that's where you know you can try to make new stuff and. It's it's never gonna they're never gonna be a huge market thing again, but but the hobbyists still love those old eight bit machines, and I I, I love the fact that you're worried that they, that you're focusing on the community effort with this and you're making it open source and and letting anyone really kind of grab onto it and, and carry on and and I'm thinking that even even if through some tragic cata catastrophe like it doesn't get completed. The work that you guys have put into it and have documented so far, it's still it's still a success because the community, you know, is going to have this 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 receptacle, this um, this this agglomeration of of information that has been produced from these efforts. Mm. Indeed, and. and Yeah. yeah, thank you. That was but that was a really long that was a thank really you. long paragraph when I could have just said this is really cool. Even if you don't get it done, we still we still win in the end. But yeah. I, <laughs> actually, it's, it's working. Uh, so, um, but yeah, we want to work it even better, of course. Mm -hmm. hmm. But no, but I think this is actually a really um, key point, and again, it's why we have done it open because if you do something open and you get halfway. 
as you say, this is success. If you get you do something closed and you get halfway, then it's complete failure. If you do something closed and you bring it out to market and then it fails and people can't use it like with the, the C1, this is also in effect really a fail. Mm-hmm. Um, you know that hardware simply is not useful anymore for almost anything. It's, it's quite hard to to get to run, and that's the we know there's a whole sad, sorry, complicated history as to how that's happened. It's not any one person's fault, um, but the only way to avoid that is to put the the power and the information in the hands of the community so that they can uh, move forward. And you know we completely agree that I think we are putting that information uh, in the hands. I mean, we have the VHDL implementation. We have a quite functional emulator. It's not perfect. It's not fast. Um, but we have a Mega 65 emulator. And so this is starting to uh, embody aspects of the uh, the C65 that most people don't know how they work. Um, you know, like at the moment, we're going through some of the variations in the DMA chip between the different versions of the Commodore 65. This is causing us a whole pile of interesting work at the moment. But um, uh, I think... With the, the help of uh, some of our volunteers, we're now uh, on top of that. And again, this is just all really interesting information from a, uh, a preservation and heritage uh, side of things as well. Right. And that's the other the other thing is that you're looking at it from a preservation standpoint rather than from a from commercial standpoint. That it's really yeah. again again there's no there really is no failure in any of it because either way. It's it's getting preserved, and this information oh. is getting out there. And, and one thing that might be interesting for the listeners is, uh, as Paul said, the emulator is quite slow. Uh, but this is not because um, it's badly coded; uh, just the opposite. If you want to emulate uh, the Mega sixty five at its current full speed, um, you would need like yeah, well. A PC that just does not exist, uh, that needs to be like 40 or 50 times quicker than an actual i7 at 4 megahertz, uh, gigahertz. So um, it's really interesting that uh, even if the, uh, the the computer itself feels very old or old school, um, it's having quite some speed and uh, it's nothing that you can do with a chip that costs like 10 or 15 euros. It's a really, really quick machine. Well, I mean, with, with all this effort, I mean, you have to, you have to be careful with one thing that you don't create something um, that isn't compatible to each other, you know, like, um, I mean, we saw this with the DTV where suddenly there were demos for the DTV and suddenly they were fixed versions of game for the DTV and after four years all that DTV community was dead in a way yeah, you but know? DTV was never meant to be a developer platform and uh, the approach I lined yes. out before that we might have the first bunch only available to developers would underline what you said that um, if they, we had, uh, had addressed the broader audience we want to have a really perfect product because yeah um, of course, um, this is, is it's very uh, um, yeah long time can be between ninety nine point nine percent perfection perfection and one hundred percent. So um, as Paul said, it basically we could uh, roll out the thing um, 
with some flaws left. But um, yeah, it's an ongoing discussion, as you heard. <laughs> yeah. yeah, probably we're not going to do that. Mm. But also, man, there is a some interesting you know, just the the psychology of things. If you look at, I mean, in effect, what we are making is a really souped up Commodore sixty four and also Commodore sixty five, um, and it's a bit like I mean, it's been fascinating living here in Germany for the last three and a half months. Sort of, you know, you go out in the autobahn and, you know, so as Australians, we now refer to uh, the speed A1. So like you have Mach 1, which is the speed of sound. A1 is the speed that the, an Audi goes past on the fastest lane on the autobahn uh, when there is nothing stopping it. Um, so we, we think this is somewhere around 300 kilometers now. But most people, despite their vehicle being capable of doing, you know, A1 or A1.2 as the maximum speed, are actually doing like A.3 or A.2. They're doing something much more sedate, but they take great pride that their vehicle can go at this greater speed and can do these wonderful things. Um, and so I think many people with the Mega 65, they will primarily use it as a very comfortable Commodore 64 or in some cases Commodore 65. And the number of people who actively do things to operate at the, you know, the, the full extent of the hardware, who knows? But my suspicion is that it will be, um, you know, it'll be a healthy percentage, but it will not be a majority. Um, and, and we're totally comfortable with that. People, you know, they'll, they'll load games up and go, oh, it loads fast from the SD card. This is nice. Or from the real floppy disk. This is nice. Oh, it's decrunching. I'll double tap restore to tell the CPU to go to full speed. And oh, look, it's decrunched before I've taken my finger back away. Um, <laughs> and I can now put it back to normal speed and play the game or do whatever. You know, like it's, we want it so that it has that really nice uh, fluid feel to it. Whether you're using it, you know, in the suburban streets or whether you're using it uh, in the fast lane on the autobahn. Well, this Commodore 64 is going into so many directions. For me, as a customer, it will be very interesting to see which one of the many platforms will be the most anticipated, you know. Um, because, um, well, I also think, you know, we spoke to other people like the c 60 for, uh, the Z64 oh, guy Z64. and the Entrenfest. Yes, the Z64. And they both they both said they wanna they want to bring out a product for the for the people who who didn't know yet how to code and maybe maybe get people to learn how to code assembler. Because um, nowadays most people know how to speak English, but they don't know how to code, you know. Like AJ's like AJ put this this example that is his workplace. People were amazed that he knows HTML. So it's like a lot of a lot of knowledge that was common in the 90s and 80s is lost nowadays. And maybe the Mega 65 can be a reason for youngsters to learn assembler again or something. You know. And this is exactly one of the it's one of many reasons why we want to make this. So, I mean, I work in a university, so I'm um, intimately involved in the education of young people who I see lack this opportunity. And it is it's not that they are less intelligent or less interested in any way. They just, you know, the march of time has not granted them that same opportunity that we had because, well, the reality was that computers were a pain in the backside to use in the 80s and 90s. You had to know how to do things to make the computer do what you wanted to do. And the side effect of that is that you learned how to control it. In the same way, if you have a manual car, you learn much more of how the car works than if you only ever have an automatic. Mm -hmm. 
And so we see great value in giving that opportunity. And of course, the increased um, specification of the machine makes this, again, kind of a little bit more convenient and hopefully maybe even a little bit more interesting as well for the students to come along. So I, I would love at the university to offer, you know, a, uh, an intensive course where we actually get first year university students or even students still at high school um, or even potentially at primary school. There's no reason why not. Um, and, you know, just go, OK, we will show you in a really fun way how computers work uh, and give them something which will be valuable to them and to society in the economy uh, for the entirety of their lives. But we have to make the machine first. <laughs> right. Well, I also think, I also think the, um, well, the sudden success of the Raspberry Pi, for example, is also showing that there's interest in self-hardware development and self-software development. Mm -hmm. So hopefully this is supporting your ideas and everything. And Yeah, look, I think it, to us, this actually does really validate the approach that we're taking. Although there's an interesting thing, the Raspberry Pi, um, to my view, is actually still too complicated. You still have to learn a lot to be able to do something with a Raspberry Pi. It's not like with a, a 64 where, you know, like you plugged it into your TV, you turned it on, and you go like, <gasps> what is this blinking ready thing? And then, you know, you could be writing tacky text adventure games by the end of the afternoon if you were really uh, wanting to. If you um, want to learn the basics of basic, yeah. Yeah, that, that's right. The, the, the barriers to entry were almost non-existent. And I think that this is, I mean, the Raspberry Pi has got the price barrier non-existent, but the complexity of a modern 32-bit CPU and operating system and everything else is actually still there. Like, you can't understand how the software on that works in its entirety quickly, right? That's I mean, it, just the, Linux is the operating system, and Linux is fantastic, but it is... Very complex. ...complicated yeah. these days. You know, it's... Yeah. There's a lot so, of sophistication in there, which makes it hard for students to understand. And when I have been involved in the teaching of computer architecture, it's clear that, I mean, you kind of... Students are diving in, you know, you're talking about virtual memory and translation look-aside buffers and, you know, <laughs> uh, multi-level uh, caches and pipelining and all the rest of it. And the students struggle. Whereas, again, those who came through in the 8-bit era, you're like, oh, a CPU is just a stupid thing that can count. And I had, like, you know, oh, you've got, like, you know, eight general purpose registers. Luxury. Back in my day, I had one and a half. Um, <laughs> and so, again, I think that there's value in teaching computer architecture on something so simple. Uh, and so we would aim to do that as well as, you know, some programming in basics and programming in assembler, you know, make a raster split, get them thinking about how video images are generated. Um, mm. Just all of these things that we think will uh, make a, a real impact. And then it would be great to actually run a research project on that and actually track long-term students who did our pro it, did the intensive versus those who didn't and actually see, you know, does this make a long-term difference on, you know, attainment and confidence and, you know, income if we want to measure, you know, just all of these interesting measures. That's interesting that you mentioned it because I never, I never learned assembler. I just learned a bit of basic. And the first thing that I did when I learned a bit of basic was a text adventure. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, yeah, so I know that when, when I was 12 or something, I, Yeah. cranked out my first text adventure, yeah. But, you know, the, the, the really excellent thing about that, the amount of algorithmic thinking that 
you have to absorb it in this really nice, friendly way as you kind of go through. It is tremendously helpful then for understanding math, computers in general, and a whole pile of things as you go forward in life. You know, it's planning and understanding what happens when you tell something exactly what to do and it obeys you exactly and you're like oh actually i need to explain these things more clearly and uh, avoid ambiguities and opportunities for misinterpretation so you know it's we think it's tremendously valuable hmm. i agree I yeah learned, i learned a lot of this i mean when i was in elementary school we learned logo and then you hmm. know in high school we learned basic and at that point i already knew basic in high school but but it kind of it shaped the way that I look at machines and how I, how I interact with them and how I can now, I can now go into a room full of, full of you know stuff that I have no idea. I've never touched them before. I don't know how they work. I don't know how they set up. But I can figure it out because of the, mm -hmm. the background that I have acquired through just basic stuff that we had to learn in order to, like you said, just to interact with the machine. You had to understand how it worked and fig and be able to figure out how to how to do this stuff and and a lot of people are not getting that today they're not because yeah, everything not. is so automated and and, and user friendly mm -hmm. and user friendliness prevents people from learning the fundamental nature of what's going on mm -hmm. <laughs> this is it, it, it's i mean i like to when i'm trying to convince students at the university they should learn to program right like i shouldn't have to convince it students that they need to learn to program, but many of them, you know, they're interested in managing IT, not doing it. And I'm trying to like, ah, oh, you're missing so much. And I sort of say, well, think of it this way. Like if you go to you know, Japan and you go to a restaurant and you speak no Japanese, all you can do is look at the interesting pictures on the menu and pick the thing that you think has the least raw fish or whatever it is that you're trying to avoid. <laughs> um, and you are under the control of that restaurant. In fact, you're not controlling them. You're not in charge of your situation. You are completely dependent on them. And they're the one that makes the money. You're not actually generating value. They're the one that is generating the value. They're keeping you um, in servitude, in effect. But if instead you learn the language and you can go there and say, oh, I would like a blah, 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 blah with whatever, then actually you have much, much more control over the situation. <laughs> and you are now no longer... So, um, subservient, you are now in a peer relationship in some way that you can negotiate what you want. You can say, "Well, hey, I'd love to have the sushi, but can I please have it with what you know? In my case, cooked fish inside, please, not raw fish. Mm. Um, you know, or, or whatever the the particular thing is." And so, this is, um, yeah, the value in being able to interact causatively with a computer rather than merely, you know, symptomatically pointing at the pictures of cabbages on the desktop or whatever it is that you're trying to do. Um, but even if we actually go a little bit deeper and sort of think with the philosophy, user friendliness taken to its extreme is the new speak from George Orwell's 1984. Mm -hmm. You can no longer reason, you know, you can no longer think about how to break out of dependence on the corporate entities that are selling you the computers and softwares, right? I mean, you know, does, you know, like computers don't tend to come with the means of programming anymore. Um, you know, they kind of, 
that's for developers. It's a special subclass, and you maybe have to pay some money <laughs> to be allowed to program the computer. And that's true. Yeah. Right. So the thing is, if you look at the mega uh, web page, um, the shortest URL is uh, mega.ms. <clears throat> you see that we are doing that programming for kids, uh, mostly elementary school, and. Um, we had uh, we normally have like 10 kids and they are doing uh, a double hour for like a few weeks in a row and uh, they are mostly 50% girls and 50% boys and uh, they are really really excited that they can produce something like the games they know and they probably only load from the uh, if from iTunes or whatever from the Play Store and uh, they, it, it's not in their thinking that they can produce something themselves, like a game themselves. It's um, absolutely fascinating to them, and they all do it with a very high concentration and fun, and they produce a game which they can play at the end of uh, that course. So um, we asked them if they would like to continue programming, and 100% said yeah, we want to do that at home and we want to program more. And uh, um, what you said, yeah, exactly at, at our time, um, you had maybe that text adventure on your tape already and you loaded it. And at some point you, you, you could, were stuck or something and you hit the run stop button and you saw that there's, you can uh, view the listing and you can modify the listing. And this is how it started. And as Paul said, there was absolutely zero barrier to do so. And uh, today the barrier is insanely big, and uh, it's yeah, true. Yeah. people don't even think anymore that they could do something they are maybe playing on their iPhone themselves because it's just a breakout, and you can learn it in like four hours. And uh, yeah, you can have a better breakout that suits your uh, you better. And um, yeah, they don't even think about that anymore. Right. So let me ask you. So, um, what is the feedback you recently get from the community? I mean, did people approach you like we do now in this podcast interview and people say, well, did you see the, your competition? So, will your Mega 65 have this and that? Um, so, my question is, did you like alter a bit your final plans and change some things? To, to adjust to the new situation that you are no. in? Or? It's, it's very, very easy to, to uh, answer yes. that. We have yes. no competition. I, I thought I lined that out properly. Yeah, before. sure, sure. No, no, but, but my question was, I understood that. But my question was is, did you change something? I mean, did something change compared to a year ago that you say, okay, we are doing this different now? That was my question. I understood no. that you say you, you have no competition. I, I don't think so. I yeah. I, I think uh, a very, yeah, something very, very big happened and everybody will cry crocodile tears. I think we removed the tape port. And, uh, yeah. Aww. Yeah, but it, might be, but it might be yeah, in I, the... I, I, I was very sad about this. We'll see. Yeah, especially Paul. I think he has not properly... Uh, come over it yeah well, i'm still in the process of grief because we had this really cool idea that we could actually send out the vhdl you know like the, the compiled bitstream updates to uh, people who bought it on tape 
And yeah, so you would update your Mega 65 with this crazy modern technology by tape. Um, and there was just this kind of just really nice uh, aspect to uh, to that option. And maybe we make an adapter to do this. The only, yeah, well, I, the only thing that I that I use my tape, the only thing I've ever used my tape port for is for powering my, my SD drive. That's it. I, I, uh, I, if I can, if I never see a data set for the rest of my life, I will be more than happy. You will, well, it depends. You depends. remember, it's an adventure, yeah? The update might be like 40 minutes long, and you will need like 10 approaches to get it loaded without a load error, and it will, of course, check some it, and we'll say, yeah, you just have a load error, try again. And it will take you my, maybe like three days to update it, so you will really appreciate having updated your machine, not like today, <laughs> where you constantly click <laughs> Windows update, yeah, go on, and If we had the tape port, again, we would, it would have the same treatment as the, um, the rest of the machine, so yes, it would be able to read horrible Commodore 64 tapes that are horribly unreliable, and you know, horribly slow, but in fact, the maximum data rate that you can get out of a um, <clears throat> an audio tape is tens of kilobytes per second. Mm-hmm. And so we can use you know the forward, <clears throat> pardon me, forward error correcting codes that they use on satellite broadcast and this kind of thing, and make something which is tremendously robust. Like you could even actually take the tape out of the deck for three seconds while it's trying to load and put it back in and hit play again, and it would still load. Um, so you know, there's. It just depends on again, you know, who's interested in in making uh, what different things. But again, just you know, uh, supporting what Detlef has said that I think the vision we had for the Mega sixty five from the outset has really not changed direction at all. As these other things have, you know, I think, kind of hinting at these other products and things that are kind of coming out into this space, um, they're more likely, I would say, to have to react to us than us to them because we're not in a situation of commercial mm. existence. So whilst that's annoying that we don't have a pile of cash to do the development work, um, we're not dependent on changed commercial realities if we want to talk about it in that kind of frame. So we are able to keep this vision, this dream we have for this machine and the way that we believe it should be, mm. and with only very small breaks of symmetry on that um, that we're forced to, for example, you know, just... There just isn't enough space around a circuit board to have all of the ports we want and still keep the tape port um, mm. without having a circuit board, which is going to be the size of a small planet. And yeah. I mean, Commodore made the 128 as the motherboard that nobody should ever make. <laughs> um, and <laughs> we don't intend to reproduce that. The the uh, did the sixty the original sixty five that didn't have a tape port, did it? No, it didn't. No, no, no. So, so this this is why grudgingly I have accepted the omission of the tape port. Uh, we're not mm. losing anything. Um, it just would have been a, a nice. It was a nice to have that we've just gone. No, it's just unfortunately not going to be possible in the way that we would have liked. But as I say, we'll probably make a dongle that goes in the joystick. But, board but Paul, Paul uh, I got news that uh, uh, here on that podcast that even you don't know, uh, Dieter immediately reacted with, "Oh, we will have a developer first version. I will." Uh, Use my first port design, which has all the ports, including the tape port. So yeah, um, <laughs> it's still it's still in movement. Everything. Yeah. <laughs> well, I know one person that will be very sad to hear that the 
Cassette Port will not be there, and that's Boris Kretzinger, who is also one of our editors. He totally loves the cassette port. So, so we're not even getting mails uh, that uh, of, of people moaning that why didn't why didn't you bring out the machine uh, end of last year, like you said, or blah blah blah, or I hate you, I'm waiting all the time. Um, everybody, every sane or let's say intelligent person can figure out. And um, you can read, read that on some forums as well, that um, the thing that we want to create uh, is actually impossible to create by a handful of people in their spare time. Um, and it's just insanity or love for the thing that we continue. And uh, sometimes the progress is a little slower, like it was in the last time. Sometimes it's quicker. Um, it's getting quicker at the moment, so there might be a quick phase coming that will be interesting. And, of course, we would love to have it under the Christmas tree end of this year. It might happen. It might not. It depends a lot also on the community, as we said. And, uh, yeah, so um, but people are very nice. They, they just want us to continue. Yeah. So there's also some uh, donations which we re really rely on because the prototype things are really, really uh, expensive. Um, and people are just saying, do not give up. And I give you another 10 euros. Just don't stop what you're doing. <laughs> so I think we, we can't stop. Right. Yeah. Well, I guess you progress so far. It would be very, very sad if you say, okay, guys, we quit. You know, no, um, but, but say, but, um, talking about the cassette port, there is one C64 that has none, and that's the SX64, actually. He has mm -hmm. no cassette port either. So, Which leads to 0.0-whatever uh, point incompatibility to yeah. certain games, because they... <laughs> that's I, true, yes. Yes, I was reading about that, about these SX64. Some games don't work because they need the routines for the data set. Yeah. You know, the thing is, limitations make you creative. If you want to have something cool, but you're very limited, you need to be very creative. So people, yeah. for example, use parts of the ROM, actually, uh, actual code, uh, to build up their levels. Uh, so a game might look completely different just because you don't have a tape loader inside your ROM or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. True. And this is the magic about the whole thing. If you code on a very limited machine, okay, I mean, we removed, kind of removed the limit speed, yeah, um, which makes it also very fascinating. Um, but everything else is very limited. It's 8-bit. Yeah, and I, I told it last time when I did the first little intro, uh, I was constantly going for 8-bit numbers, and still I forgot about 8-bit addressing, and I looked two days for the bug, and it was so obvious, but yeah, you, you have to change your mindset. It's for people that uh, like to think and to crack nuts, and uh, you get, as Paul said, very quick and uh, a very good output, and you see what you've done. Yeah, yeah, it's not like you have to. If you start a Microsoft uh, Visual Studio and there's already there's code that has been done for you, it's it's already there. Still, you have to put lots and lots of lines to just create a working button or something. Yeah, and the yeah. C64, you hit that poke that changes the border color, and you're happy. That's the very first thing to do, and and yeah. then, then you make it flicker maybe in a very easy. 
uh, basic two lines of basic and so, somebody comes and says let me do it uh, in assembler and it's just two uh, lines of assembler but you see it's like 40 times quicker and uh, mm -hmm. this is where you get if you're intelligent and you like machines you get interested and you say let me try mm -hmm. that uh, what can be done and mm -hmm. and then you come to maybe to a point where you see some c64 demos on on youtube um There were famous ones. You could quickly find a good one. And then you wonder, how can this be done with the limits I just learned about? Yeah. And if you are still interested, you will try to push the limits. And of course, this is not 90% of uh, humanity. Yeah. This, I'm talking about yeah, everybody involved here. Um, might it be three, one, five? I don't know how many percent. Yeah, we are talking about a niche market. Sure. Yeah, but yeah. It's, it's a big one, you know. I mean, um, again, I see there is no competition because everybody who's uh, interested in that stuff, they mostly have two or three Commodores lying around. And if there's a 50-euro um, TV yeah. thing, it is, uh, was never meant for coding, so, so there was no need to keep, keep it compatible. Uh, We will, of course, buy it. But if there's a 2,000-euro Wonder C64, which is like 1064s in once, and it has like 50 sits, and there's already stuff coming with it, I will buy it, of course. Also, that's not competition. It's uh, We are crazy about these things, 8-bit and Commodore, and uh, we are buying back or putting time into getting back uh, maybe our childhood or the old times. And uh, yeah, of course, we want to preserve it and we want to use it for, for education. But we do it because we love it. That's it. So um, nobody who's not as crazy uh, can or will or does compete with that. Hmm. And it's, it's been interesting as we've been going along, just the, the joy of programming the machine. It's amazing how sort of, you know, because I made the bulk of the VHDL for this thing. And so it kind of went from this thing where I started with nothing and started feeling kind of very artificial. And then, you know, you get rid of those rough edges. And so suddenly it's just like, oh, no, I am using a C65 again. Because I mean, I own the original, so I, I, I know what the original feels like as well. And so now with the um, the emulator and uh, the tool chain so we can use CC65, the C compiler, because the CPU is a bit quicker, this is kind of nice. Um, and so even just at the C65 level of programming, it's just been kind of fun. So I'm starting to work on an IDE for the Mega 65, which is actually going to run on the Mega 65 itself. And so if you're cross-compiling, you'll actually use the emulator to run this thing. And so... Um, as I said, it's currently just targeting C65 hardware. And so using CC65, we already have now uh, the bulk of a working multi-window, simultaneous separate scrolling editor that will be part of this IDE. And so you'll be able to, you know, debug and trace step through and see your breakpoints and all this kind of thing. And this will run in, you know, 128 kilobytes of RAM. And it's just, it's a real joy to put that kind of thing together and go like, oh, the scrolling is too slow. How can I speed this up? What algorithm can I use? Okay, I'm already using DMA to do the scrolling. How can I, you know, because we want to be able to still have large text files in memory and more than 64 kilobytes of them. So just all of this kind of, the fun of working with limitations uh, is there. Uh, and it's just, yeah, this the enjoyability of the machine already is, I think, one of the things that still really encourages us and, and drives us on to bring it to completion. So, 
to bring it to completion, what's the thing you you are doing next? What's the next big thing you're planning for this year? I think for this year, we're trying to figure out how on earth we can get the injection molded tools made to make keyboard and uh, ideally case uh, as well. So I think, yeah, we're going to look at a whole bunch of different ways. They all involve varying degrees of money and effort and all of this kind of thing. Um, and we're quite keen uh, to you know, find anyone that has the, um, uh, the interest in helping us uh, with that process. Um, as I said, with my work, Uh, otherwise, at the university, we're doing some things with this, in this space as well. And so it's just kind of neatly uh, joining together there and just otherwise you know, closing out the um, these remaining items so that we can you know, turn the Mega 65 from being like the Death Star in Return of the Jedi where the big gun works but don't open the wrong door or you get sucked out into space mm -hmm. um, into something which looks nice and complete like the first Death Star and has no trouble blowing up whole planets. Yeah, which surprised me kind of because Andre is doing a lot of uh, you know public relation work and even Detlef is is out there in a lot of places. I wonder, aren't there enough people in the community that would like to help you? Because you you mentioned in this podcast recording a couple of times. So if you know somebody, if there's somebody out there, there must be somebody out there that that can help you with molds and stuff. I don't know. There are so many freaks around in the retro community. Is it really that hard? Yeah, may may I comment on that maybe? Sure, please. I think I think um, I think the the core piece of it is uh, getting involved and staying involved. I think you're talking to the same same guys that you talked to last year, which doesn't mean um, that there were other people involved at that during the past year as well, which came and went. So we are still around and we, we show you the commitment that we are giving to the project. And obviously, if we need someone uh, uh, in the in the team, we want to make sure that this guy or a girl brings uh, along the same commitment as we have, right? So we have a steady team of uh, a small amount of people only. And obviously, if we get someone in, we want to make sure that he also uh, contributes on a longer term basis, I might say, right? And the, the others can comment uh, and, and uh, hopefully support me in what I'm saying. The thing is, we get we get people on which are eager to contribute, but uh, if it's then going and week after week having our uh, frequent calls to update ourselves, um, this is this is uh, as Detlef also mentioned a couple of times, um, not easy for us as well, right? We have uh, um, a lot of responsibilities in our day jobs as well, and uh, then getting on a Thursday night's call every week is uh, sometimes not for everyone. So the thing is also that, um, yeah, finding experts um, that can really contribute and, uh, yeah, make us quicker and not slow us down is really hard. VHDL programming um, is not something that everybody does. <laughs> also, not, uh, not a lot of seniors uh, know how to do it. And um, they also need to know a lot of knowledge, uh, need to have a lot of knowledge about uh, Commodore things. And they have to dig through a lot of lines that are already existent. So, yeah, sometimes some people pop up and we're really happy about it, but it's not on a daily basis. 
I see. So the main problem is to make people stick to the team for a longer time, a longer term. Because every time you have a new member in the team, you have to reintroduce to your customs every time. And it slows things down a bit. Yeah. And so this, if you think about what we're trying to do, no one, no commercial entity is trying to do this because commercially it would be insane because there is a huge amount of work to do to make something which has a relatively limited market. Um, and so the amount of work, this is not like you get seen as they'll get together to make a demo and there's a lot of work in the demo, but what we are finding is that there is a lot more work in if you want to make the computer for the demo to run on uh, and make it really nice and really authentic. And so, yeah, this is a challenge. I think a related thing with that, there's a bit of a two-edged sword in terms of availability of expertise. Many people who grew up in the 8-bit era are now, you know, around our collective ages. They are established professionals with career, family, Everything is going good, but this is a really busy time of life. And so for them to have the time and energy to go, okay, I've come home from work, I spend time with my family, and then to do the same kind of skills that maybe they're using during their day at work for this project, this is uh, really quite a big ask uh, for people. And then for it to be over maybe a, a 12 or 18-month uh, period uh, to bring a substantial thing to bear and then of course you know we don't have a pile of big pile of money to do these things we go okay so normally we would get someone else to do this horrible icky part of the job and oh, okay not only do we have no time we now have to do this annoying piece as well so it's uh yeah the good things so, in life and the easy things in life are often two completely different sets of things so it sounds a bit like honey we don't get kit this year because first i have to complete my mega 65 maybe next year yeah, <laughs> that would have been a smart move for me, maybe, because uh, you exactly hit the nail. My son is now one and a half years old, and yeah, you have to prioritize that stuff, you know. <laughs> yeah, uh, well, yeah, I see. I mean, <clears throat> of course, we see the same thing with. With most projects, you have core people and you have people that come and go because not everybody has the same the same um, intense feeling for the project as you have, you know. Mm. Um, of or, course, or even just the, the, the opportunity. I mean, and some of the people who come along and they may only do one or two things, but the things that they might fix, they just bring a fresh set of eyes and go like, "Ah, oh, you can solve this problem by doing X, Y, and Z," and they do the code or they do whatever. And we are eternally grateful for their very real and very significant contribution. So it's, yeah, there's different roles that different people can bring. They're all valuable. Um, at the moment, yeah, <laughs> we, we still need to go. I don't know if I asked that in the first part of this interview a year ago, but um, do you have somebody from the old Commodore or Amiga crew to support you? I mean, is there anybody from the old Commodore Amiga team that is part of your SSA club and part of the team? From the original C65 developers, we had some contact and they were really nice. Um, let's say the uh, most interesting resources we received, we got over someone else. And 
Yeah, but other than that, from Commodore General, uh, Pedro is uh, an honorary member of Mega, and he helped a lot finding people in China that can produce stuff and things like that. Uh, yeah, but that that's about it. So, yeah, it's true. When I did an interview with him, he told me he still does a lot of Asian import-export stuff. Yeah, he is very. Um, he's frequently in Asia, and um, yeah, he knows a lot of people. And also from the Commodore days, he knows very interesting people, and he's always glad to help. And um, yeah, I think he also posted something that um, we made him the godfather of that project. So his <laughs> helpful spirit and hands might uh, get us to reach the goal quicker. Well, just asking because um, especially this year, later this year, there will be this um, Amiga uh, 32 anniversary um, again, which is in Neuss, Germany, like two years ago, where I met you the first time. So maybe that's a chance to, to bring awareness to the Amiga 65 to audience that didn't see the system again and maybe some Commodore former employees, you know, that's that's why I came to this question. Yeah, this will certainly be an interesting opportunity, and uh, given that we have something spectacular to show by then, uh, we should be present. Yeah, I think there's a good chance we will be present. Good, good. So, um, yeah, looking forward to that. Yeah, as, as you heard before, we are hoping to get the main board prototypes in a few weeks. So if that happens, you never know, because the, the guy who's doing it is also doing it in his free time, and he has no free time. But uh, yeah, <laughs> even, okay. even an hour uh, a week will, will give you some results at some point. Yeah, Everybody has just to be patient because we don't want to stop that so we keep going at uh, whatever pace is possible i'm not pressuring you <laughs> I, i didn't think so who would be the first yeah, keep our, keep our spirits up that's good <laughs> yeah no, no. Because, uh, that uh, event that you mentioned would be an interesting milestone because uh, as you said we were we were there two years ago And we already had working prototypes. Um, of course, they were not uh, close to where we are now or what we want as the finished product, uh, if there ever is one. But uh, yeah, uh, this would be interesting to have something, um, uh, no, uh, our own board and the modified case and with all the enhancements. And yeah, let's see. Yeah, it's also interesting. Um, As I said, you may you might have like beta boards to developers first. Do you plan to make them easily easily um, upgradable, or do you say okay, we made some changes to the hardware, so you might get a new version once we get the commercial version out or the final version out? 
the development things will uh, absolutely. Uh, we have to uh, talk different stages here. Um, mm. I was talking about getting ten prototype boards that will, of course, be used internally to um, key persons regarding code. Uh, also, they have to be made adjustments to the uh, VHDL code because we're now running on that commercial dev board, and of course, some things are different. And we have new, uh, interesting things like the uh, old block RAM. Um, yeah, but uh, these, of course, will be constantly updated. And the thing about the smaller amount only for developers, like 100 pieces, this is an ongoing discussion. We will have to see. But, um, of course, this is also a very interesting question regarding uh, reliability because uh, or, and also compatibility, as you said, because you don't have want to have, like, 20 different versions out there and they are not compatible and you have to load the other bitstream to make that demo run and you have to load another one to make that game run. Nobody wants that. So um, at, at some point, yeah, when we're going more uh, broader audience, the, the uh, um, updates will be more limited or rare or not existent at all. Yeah. yeah. There's just something that made me remind of that is just, you know, when when the Commodore Reloaded was out and the Messiah MIDI cartridge didn't work. Oh, my God. That was, <laughs> like, really, really bad for many, many people. Even though I said, like, well, get a 5-euro USB port reset switch and the problem is solved. So, you know... Some people are really, really very, very picky and very, very pissed when something they 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 know they heard of doesn't work. You know, even though I think it's so how many people have that cartridge to how many people it matters. You know, yeah, indeed. And so I guess one of the reasons that we set about doing this with the 65 and not the 64 is it freed us from having to be exactly 100% compatible because the That's real very smart. Yeah actually had horrible compatibility we're already much more compatible than the real 65 i mean just fixing this uh, crazy thing with the um uh you know doing raster splits and things where the um uh, increment decrement and these um read modify write cpu instructions they had optimized out the dummy write and this would just this stopped like half of all programs running on the uh, the c65 uh, from the 64 um, and so that alone has helped enormously. Once we have illegal opcodes, that will fix a whole pile of other things because the decruncher on a whole pile of games uses illegal opcodes. Yeah, true. So it's just some of these things. So we will get a really nice level of compatibility when people, someone says, oh, this strange cartridge wouldn't work. And go, well, okay, you show me a real C65 that it works on. And if it works on there, then we'll think about fixing the bug. Mm, um, yeah. But in reality, we actually will try and make everything that we can yeah, work. Sure, sure. Also, yeah. yeah. People, people look at a product in a different way. If you buy an iPhone, which is like the newest one, I don't know, 800 euros, and uh, you know that they produce it for 80, and then it doesn't work, you get really angry. Yeah, But uh, our uh, buyers, or let's maybe say participants in, in this journey, they will know because we make it transparent how much that stuff costs. And I mean, we are still not uh, 
100% sure about the keyboard. We have a total of three offers. And one is made in Germany using metal plate underneath and original cherry switches. And, oh. um, of course, this is really expensive. I mean, not expensive, but more expensive, like uh, an offer from China where each keyboard is like three euros fifty. Yeah. Well, you but, can make a gum, you can make a gummy wrapper like the Spectrum ZX Spectrum. Uh, <laughs> if we were forced to do that, instead, what we would do, we would have a printed piece of cardboard in the back, and we would have infrared LEDs, and you would just press on the cardboard and break the LED beams and do it that way. It would be much nicer <laughs> and more reliable. I would just leave holes and you poke them with a pen. Yeah. Yeah. Great idea. Yeah. Now I've I've just uh, read this great book by Brian Becknell that you probably all know the, the company on the edge the rise and fall of Commodore yes, of course. and I've uh, I've I've learned to which great length these guys uh, went to make the C128 compatible to the C64 which used a whole lot of uh, well hidden routines <laughs> and uh, I think this is something we will not uh, relive in our Mega 65 project I, I at least hope <laughs> hope for that <laughs> yeah it, it will be as compatible as is sensible and it's we will just, define what sensible means there's a lot of uh, uh, things running and um, the, the new crunchers don't use legal opcodes anymore and they work perfectly and most of that um, stuff that the games that have been made in the last five or maybe even ten years, they immediately work because they are coded differently. Um, people have that code uh, for a machine that is not uh, common anymore. They do it because they so they code it in a very demo-ish way and it's all very raster exact and there's no, 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 uh, no um, raster effects have been timed by CIA using the CIAs, for example. So they all work very, very well. For example, Canabalt, the C64 version, and, and games of that era, and the, the newest one on, uh, what is it called, RGCD? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. They work very well, and these, this is really great stuff. It's been done by passionists, and uh, you have a, a, a huge load of uh, games and demos that work right now. So. Um, yeah, that's true. The the three big companies, Protovision, RTCD, and Cytonic, they are constantly cranking out new C64 games. But that is that is actually leading me to one question that we never asked. How about NTSC PAL compatibility? We did ask about that. Did we? Yeah. Ah. But, but it really it really troubles people. So maybe Paul, if you like to put that yeah. few lines. <laughs> this is one of the things that's on our list to do. To fix that, so at the moment we are 1920 by 1260 hertz. Um, so we are PAL 60, um, if you like. We make sure that the right, all the right numbered raster lines are all there. We have to do some strange things with stretching and compressing in the top and bottom border. This is all a bit fascinating, but it all mostly works. Um, but to get 50 hertz PAL, um, we have to go to HDMI because even if you do a 50 hertz signal on a VGA connector, 99% of monitors will go, sorry, what on earth are you giving me? Exactly the same signal on the HDMI port, and like 50 hertz, of course. 
Um, so, yeah, this is one of these things that we just need to um, to do with HDMI. And I think so on the new main boards to make our job easier, we actually have a, um, a HDMI encoder chip with the HDMI port. So we actually will have the same VGA output from the FPGA and it will go through the HDMI encoder. And then that tells the monitor to say, yes, of course, 50 hertz is a wonderful idea instead of, you know, the, the plague. Um, <laughs> and so at, at that point, then this doesn't become a great issue. We can then do 60 hertz or 50 hertz and, you know, the, the right numbers of raster lines will all be there and this will be fine. But in all likelihood, our focus will remain on power just because it's kind of a larger part of the 8-bit world and it's the part of the 8-bit world in which we've been based, which isn't to say that we wouldn't add NTSC support. We'd love for there to be NTSC support. And maybe someone will come along and one of these things that someone can do and go, okay, I put in a few weeks' worth of work and, okay, yes, now it works in NTSC as well. And, you know, again, this is the, the, the joy of uh, it being open source. But the but now the fact that, like you were saying, with the HDMI, it can kind of, it'll work on just about anything. It, it's, it's not going to be a seriously pressing thing like like me being no. an ntsc guy i could get it plug it into an hdmi screen and just have it work in pal mode yeah which... it, it, exactly and so all, all you will miss is the horribly distorted colors of ntsc right <laughs> yes exactly never never the same color yeah exactly never twice the same color <laughs> so so how can people get updated about your progress some newsletter, anything people can sign up to? Okay, the, the mechanism right now is, A, we've updated the webpage. There's a lot of information on the page. Please check it out. And there's that, that contact form with some text saying, please don't use the contact form. We have no time to answer you. And, of course, still people are using it and con are contacting us. And what we are doing, we are putting... Uh, them to our mailing list, which is a horribly silent one, so you don't have to fear of spam. Um, we just sent out the first email with that update when we passed the deadline because we thought we own that to, to our fans, if you want to say so. And uh, yeah, if you drop us an, a, a mail by that contact form on mega65.org or com or whatever, I think we got net.org and com. Uh, Ah, .NET is the forum, by the way. Yeah, that's right. This is about the sense. This is I have not looked into yeah. for like eight weeks. Yeah, but you see how it's going. Yeah, it's very a lot of tasks we have to fulfill. You anyway. should add me to that list because I'm not on that list yet. I didn't get that email. Drop us a, a mail. <laughs> it will be semi-automatically be done. Um, okay, yeah, great. But uh, this is how you get informed if something spectacular happens. And of course, we will update the web page um, every time something happens. Um, the same like the forum. I think Paul did not put anything to his blog for a few weeks, but I'm pretty sure this will happen again when he's back in Australia. There will be updates. This His blog is linked from the page. So if you dig around a little and also the, the Git uh, Hub project is linked and you can, of course, see if there have been updates. Um, yeah, poke around a little and you will find out, of course. Yeah, and so it's quite nice. If you actually hop over to mega65.net with the forum at the moment, there is a, um, uh, a post which was put up on the 7th of December by just one of the community saying, hey, here's a list of games that I've got working on this, and here is a, a video uh, that they've put up on YouTube of a, um, uh, a bunch of games and things running uh, on 
his Mega 65 um, from using one of the FPGA prototype boards. So, yeah, there's good, interesting things to, uh, uh, to have a look at. Great, oh, great. just a quick, quick hint for anybody who wants to do so. Uh, the good thing is that uh, from the old games, you find several versions by several, released by different groups on CSDB. And, um, yeah, mostly one of 20 works even uh, um, for the bizarre games because then they changed maybe the, the fast loader to back to a normal one or, or whatever. Um, you get it running if you dig it into it a, a little. So uh, I think I got every game running and a few of them got some little errors, but these w will be straightened out. Nice, nice, yeah. So... And, and I guess you can also speed up the the device on the fly. So I could I could play Test Drive Two in a better speed and so on. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but of course, for some things, a better speed is not the right word. Um, insane speed is. <laughs> <laughs> so the, the current latest bitstream at the moment, if you press the restore key twice, this toggles the CPU between one megahertz and forty-eight megahertz. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I mean, that's that is the thing that amazed me the most about Test Drive One. The the coders um, of Accolade um, in '87 actually made like a maximum frame rate limit. So most games, if you if you play them with a super CPU, they will be crazily fast and you cannot control the game. But Test Drive One has a maximum frame rate cap. So you can play the game really fluent, but it's not getting crazily fast. Mm. So, so the thing is that the few lines of assembly you need to put a limit to it uh, that are actually really helpful, um, that can be put into the games or be removed, um, you can patch all the games, the old ones, to yeah do it properly to use the, the, the proper speed. For for example, if I had some time, I would like to patch Elite to have a, a really crazy frame rate, but not moving uh, as quick as it actually does, because it's not playable. Uh, it's now it's just super fast, so you have to yeah. put a li limiter that uh, says, okay, everything's uh, slow as it used to be, except for the graphics routine. It might be a little tricky at some points to separate those, but of course, this is. We just need more people and fans and and people that are uh, happy to do that crazy stuff. And yeah, then it all can happen. The the, the possibilities are there, and that's the important thing, I guess. Mm. Great, thank you, guys. Great, great, great. Good. So really happy to have heard that you are progressing well, and hopefully see this uh, the Mega 65 maybe in Christmas this year who knows <laughs> yeah maybe this Christmas <laughs> next uh, yeah if we survive to this Christmas <laughs> yeah well the, 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 yeah if, are you referring to the political situation if, if I can if I can import a Mega 65 into in, into Soviet America then yeah <laughs> we, build, we will have to build them in America or we won't be able to afford it yeah, exactly. because we have to make sure that they're not built in Mexico I think otherwise there will be a 45% <laughs> <laughs> you can take over the US fabric fabrication yeah there we go <laughs> problem solved yeah <laughs> okay. but hey Cuba has opened up yeah that's yeah. a 
that's well, a, who, a whole new market you can penetrate. Oh, that. Interesting. Exactly. Yeah, because China, China is getting expensive. So, <laughs> yeah, my bet is that there will be a whole new black market in America for Asian technology and stuff. Oh, yeah. cool. Yeah, or, or maybe the minimum wage in two years' time in the US will be lower than that in China, and so you'll be able to make everything domestically again anyway. Yeah. <laughs> Who knows? Who knows? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, great. So, guys, I will guess see you on the Amiga 32 event at last. Yeah, um, probably. Probably. Maybe earlier. Oh. At, at the Retro Burs in Mannheim again, which I think okay. is like in June or something. Yeah, there's only, only once this year in June, oh. yes. Yeah. yeah. So I guess we will see each other in summer at last. Okay, thank you. Yo, Thanks. Thank you for coming on again. We're really, really very excited to hear about the news and discuss the new situation and what's coming next. So. Yeah. Right. yeah, whenever you find someone who's willing to put crazy time into a crazy project that will never earn any money, please redirect them to us. <laughs> of yeah, course, we will. Also, we really need someone when we make a campaign to, to put time into uh, social media, blogging and stuff. Do you happen to know someone like yourself who could help us uh, in that bit? At uh, right off the head right now, not really. You're on the camera, yeah? I'm reading your face. You <laughs> want to persuade. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know. Do you know anybody, H.A.? Right mm. from from the I, I don't know, There's a guy in a, in a red sweater sitting. Yeah, yeah, I see him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Because it's, it's just as easy... Um, We cannot raise money for like the uh, the molds, and if we don't have a campaign like this, and none of us can put at least one hour a day into yeah, poking the tech blogs and putting at least something into the forum, just a little thing, and uh, yeah, it, it cannot happen without it, as you probably know. Yeah, yeah, social community and social media is very important nowadays. Yeah. Yeah, for, for crowdfunding, it's absolutely crucial. And if we don't have someone who's willing to do it, it we just won't make it because, uh, yeah, there will be no money. And uh, it looks like nobody wants it. <laughs> so. <laughs> so you are trying to hire me for social media? Yeah, maybe. Yeah, <laughs> You can sleep it over. Yeah, I will sleep so it over. Think, yeah. Uh, yeah. Thank you. Very good. So, guys, have a okay. good time. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you bye bye. 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 <laughs> Whoa. They just offered you a job. <laughs> so, that was the Mega 65 guys. Still Again. Plugging, yes. Still plugging away. Well, they said they'd, do a, they'd give us an update, and, and they sure. have. Sure. Yeah. So they're still plugging sure. away at it. We're still looking forward to that. I would still love to have a C65 and see what sort of that sort of thing could do. Well, you cannot really afford a real C65, and it wasn't really so much useful and complete. Yeah, exactly. Even if you had one, yeah. Well, I, and that's the you know what I've I've said before is the biggest issue I see with the 65 um, is simply the fact that there is no software library for it, and there's really no there's a lack of um, 
there's not much motivation to create a large software library for the machine, you know, because it's it's already. I mean, it's it's it was never really released. It's still a very niche market. Um, I like what they're doing from a, a preservation standpoint and from making it open, which would in turn, you know, increase the possibility of something being done. With it. I would like. I'd still like to have one. I'd still like to mess with one and see what could be done with it. You know, I I don't know. That it's ever going to get the the um. It's never going to get as as popular as a sixty four or even a one twenty eight, because or even a DTV maybe. Right, but you know, having the options to do that, and or even like you know, use the information that they're getting now in doing this to create an emulator. You know, that would be. I would love to have a Vice C sixty five emulator, even if there wasn't anything I could run on it, just to play with it. And Plus, and and it also yeah. gives us another. You know, because there is C64 compatibility in it, it gives us a new. If they can, if they can pull it together and and release a product, it gives us something new that we can use as hardware. Because our hardware is all getting. I mean, my. I, I look at the the 64 that's sitting on my desk in front of me right now, and there, there it is. Um, and I look at this as being fairly new. It was made in 1988. 1988 is was, is not recent. You know, in C64 terms, I guess 1988 is pretty new. But really, it, it's it's still, you know, 30 years old. True, true, yeah. Or 20, at least 20, 29, 28, something like that. I don't know, I can't do math. Right. Yeah, anyway, I mean, the latest C64 you <laughs> You would get in um, in Germany, they're uh, manufactured in ninety six, ninety five, right? Just before ESCOM went bankrupt. Yeah. So even that is like twenty two years ago. Right. Even if you get one of the latest C sixty four ever ever uh, officially produced, it's still twenty two years. Yeah. Yeah. Well, in, in in the U.S., I would imagine the last you'd get is a ninety three or ninety four because ninety four is when they went bank when Commodore yep. went bankrupt. Yeah. So, yep. Sure. You know, I mean, in 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 my brain, that's still pretty recent. But then I'm an old man, so. Uh, me too. I mean, so, you know, so it, it, it. I remember that that time period and thinking, oh, that's not too long ago. But then I sit back and I'm like, oh, wait a minute, it's twenty seventeen. Oh. Yeah, that it was that long ago. Well, you don't look old to me. For uh, some... I don't because I'm I'm not I'm not I'm not forty yet, and so that's you know, I'm still in my my mid thirties. I'll I'll stay Good. in my mid thirties until I'm forty. Thank you very much. Uh huh. Okay. I mean, I mean, I'm well, like I'm I'm just you know twenty eight still. That's that's how uh, old I am. I was, I was a fetus when I got my C sixty four. Nice, nice. <laughs> <laughs> right yeah all so, right yeah well so um anyway recently a lot of fpga based ccc4 are coming out you yeah, know yeah the 64 uh-huh. the c64 reloaded fpga version um the c65 a lot of competition going on there, and then you still have, then you still have, you still have um, other systems like the Chameleon, right. like like the Commodore Bonn, even if it's not really supported anymore, and like the Mist, which is also 
a cartridge here, um, very much famous in Germany, by the guy who actually did um, the who, uh, Marco Willig, who actually did the uh, Sega LCD mod 2015. Right. So you can get a recent C64, um, a recent um, Game Gear screen. Right. And the same mod was even done for the Atari Lynx. So, yeah, so anyway, a lot of competition in that field. So, yeah. But to be honest, the most excited I'm about the C64 Reloaded or the official Commodore 64 Reloaded Mark II. <laughs> because yeah. that will not be FPGA based. And um, that means I need again to buy a set of ships because I don't want to. I don't want a butcher, you know. Yeah. Working the 64s. I've got a couple. Of, I've got a couple of chips here that I can, I can toss at you that I've I've pulled out of dead machines. Yeah, but then there is then there is a caution note that Jens Schönfeld is always including: don't put into the machine damaged ships. Because if you do, they all they, they've all been tested. They work. They're all good. Uh, it's good to know. I've de-rusted right. the pins. And... <laughs> nice. So they're all they're all good and working. I wouldn't have kept them if they weren't. Good to know. Yeah. So you can check out. You can find out about the Mega Sixty Five and what they're doing. Uh, at their their webpage, it's mega65.org. Uh, they're also on Facebook at facebook.com/mega65retrocomputer. Uh, their forum is at mega65.net. They're they're all over the place. So go find them, check them out, um, and 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 you know just generally keep an eye open for them. Uh, you know where to find us. We're we're the same people as we always are. Sceneworld.org, uh, uh, YouTube.sceneworld.org, all that stuff. We'll see you next time.